0: As I mentioned this uh, morning, Lord willing, we will be covering the uh, Holy Spirit, and we'll be focusing on uh, the Holy Spirit, that he is God, and that the Holy Spirit is a person. And then we'll have applications strewn through. There's two big books that have been helpful to me. Uh, one of them in this study is The Holy Spirit by Spurgeon. And it's got, I think it's a compilation of his messages that focused on the Holy Spirit. And it's an excellent, excellent book. I'll be reading from it today, Lord willing. And then the other one is a new book out by John Ruther. And this book is The Gift of the Holy Spirit. And it is much more thorough and uh, covers a broad range of topics related to the Holy Spirit. Excellent book. And hopefully we'll get these in our... Book room in the days to come. Well, in our day, there's a lot of talk uh, about the Holy Spirit. Um, in some churches, it seems that the Spirit is emphasized at the expense of the Father and the Son. And in fact, in some cases, it's there's so much emphasis on the signs of the Spirit that it's almost that the signs are related more to their salvation than Jesus Christ. And the focus seems to be off of Christ and onto the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit that are in the people. And we have many dear brethren in, in those circles, so don't get me wrong. Uh, but, and, and it's not everyone, certainly. There are churches and, and uh, other places that uh, are not overemphasizing like that. However, I must say that in more conservative churches, in churches even in Reformed Baptist circles, uh, there can be an overreaction to that unbiblical emphasis. So as a result, the spirit is almost completely avoided, and they don't want to talk about the spirit because they don't want to fall into this trap that other churches have had of overemphasizing the spirit. Now, I'm certainly not saying that's been true here. I believe there's a well-balanced ministry, and we're speaking of him this morning in our Sunday school class. So, uh, But we can fall into it. We we are vulnerable, just like anyone in this world who is a human. Even though we've saved, we can fall into the trap of error, and so we don't want to go there. So this is certainly one reason why it's a good idea to focus on who the Spirit is and what he does and what his role is in our salvation. Anyway, as I mentioned, the the first thing we're going to cover is that the Holy Spirit is God. And this is not an exhaustive study, but I'm hitting the highlights and uh, some strategic passages, perhaps, that might support this idea. I'm going to provide four um, arguments and just to know the importance of all this. Why are we studying the Holy Spirit in, a, in addition to what I've already said? Well, Satan has his arrows on the whole, against the Holy Spirit and who he is. The cults and others are bent on destroying the idea of who the Holy Spirit is just like they have their arrows pointed at Jesus Christ and who he is. And it's done in a subtle way. That's the nature of the cults is they have truth intermingled with them. It's, it's uh, as one brother has said, uh, poison is 99% good food. It's the 1% or 0.1%, whatever it is, that can destroy and kill you. And it's the it's the same with the cults. It's that they have a lot of good food there, but unfortunately there's vital error, heresy, and one of them deals with the Holy Spirit. Well, the first thing is, and the first of the arguments that I have why we understand the Holy Spirit to be God is that He's actually called God in the Scriptures. So we're gonna be going through a lot of passages this morning. Uh you don't have to follow me, but, if, but it's a, if you want to see it with your own eyes, I think that cements it better into our hearts. So turn with me if you have a Bible or you just want to listen, that's fine too. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. <clears throat> now Drew has been covering 2 Corinthians and he covered this passage, but I just wanted to highlight it uh, in light of our study here. 2 Corinthians three, seventeen. <clears throat> now it says, The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Now, we won't get into what he means by the Lord. I I personally feel that it's Jesus Christ because he talks about it in verse 14. The veil is removed in Christ. Whenever a man turns to the Lord, Jesus Christ, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit. So it flows right in there. But be that as it may, the, the focus here is that the Lord is the Spirit plain and simple. You can't get any plainer than that. And then in verse 18 at the end it says, just as from the Lord the Spirit. So he's equating the Lord Jesus or the Lord God with the Spirit. John 4 says, God is Spirit. And those who worship him must worship in Spirit and in truth. Well, you might say well he's just saying that God is spirit yeah but what does the bible call god's spirit well he calls it the holy spirit god is spirit the holy spirit and then turn to me with me if you would to acts chapter 5 acts chapter 5 again we're focusing on that the holy spirit is god and that He's called God in the scriptures. Now, the background here, as many of you may remember, uh, but we have young folks here, so I'm going to be a little more descriptive and uh, explain things more. So the background here is that this is the first church that was established by the apostles in Jerusalem, and there's some poor folks out there. And the poor folks are within the church, And the reason they're poor, some have said, is that they have lost their jobs because they confess Christ. And this is heresy to the Jews, that Jesus is is the Christ. Well, whatever the reason, many of the people in the church were selling, like land or houses, as it's described there in chapter 4, and then would take the money and lay it before the apostles. And they would say, this is the money that we got from selling our land. Bingo, right there, right? And they were all doing this. And so Ananias and Sapphira, they take their land and they sell it. But the thing is that they put some of it in their pocket. And then they laid it out before the apostles as if it was all the money they got from this land. See, that's what's going on here. So in verse 1 of chapter 5, it says, But a certain man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge. And bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? And I might add, notice, Ananias, according to this passage, did not say a word. We can lie without saying a word. Just by misleading people into thinking one thing when the truth is within us that we could easily explain. He could have said, well, I kept back some for for us, and, and this is just a portion of it. But apparently he didn't. That was the problem. In verse four, it says, while it remained unsold and did not remain your own, Peter says, and after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Now, wait a minute. In verse three, Peter tells Ananias, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. And then in verse four, he says, you've lied to God. So what is he doing? He's He's using interchangeably God and the Holy Spirit. One and the same, in essence. So he's called God. Now, the second argument that the Holy Spirit is God is that the Spirit has attributes or characteristics that only God has. That only the Father and the Son have. So in other words, men don't have these characteristics that I'm about to describe. Only only God and God the Father and God the Son have these things. They're called incommunicable attributes of God. In other words, they can't be transmitted to men or given to men. Men can never possess these things. And the first one is that the Holy Spirit is the creator. The Holy Spirit is the creator. Look at Genesis chapter 1, the first first two verses of the scriptures it says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters interesting the spirit of God was there now, some some skeptic might say, well, but he, he doesn't say he created. It just says he was there. Well, turn to verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image. Now, he's already mentioned the Holy Spirit. Who else could be there anyway? It's at the beginning of time. There's man, men, the earth and heavens haven't been made yet, let alone uh, well the earth was there, but you know he made that in any case, the, only the spirit's there. So let us, I believe the Sun is included. It's a triune God, but at least it's the spirit because he's already mentioned, right so he's he's creator. But then in Psalm 104, Psalm 104, In verse 30, it says, You did send forth your spirit, they are created. And thou dost renew the face of the ground. So he's basically saying that God sends forth his spirit and they're made. They're created. You don't have to turn there, but in uh, Job 33, Job says, The spirit of God has made me and the breath of the almighty gives me life so here he's again interchangeably using the spirit and god one and the same in essence but he says specifically the spirit of god has made me now the fact that the spirit creates this proves the existence of the spirit it's the evidence so we look all around us, and I just want to emphasize in 104, it says, uh, you know, 104.30, you send forth your spirit, and they are created. He's talking about all things here. And if the spirit has made all things, this is sound evidence. This is irrefutable evidence that the spirit exists. And this is, this is God. This is God is God exists. So in other words, if uh, somebody comes into our home, we're away, and, and uh, next thing you know, we come home after they were there, but we don't know they were there, right? And we walk into the home and there's, we walk into our bedroom that was nice and neat when we left, and there's clothes flown, thrown all over the room. And drawers are open and our jewelry box is there, and that's open, and and there's no jewelry in there. And we get to, and then we look at the box that we had all this money in, in a secret drawer there, and that drawer is open, and the box is open, and there's no money left. Now, did we see the robber? Did we hear the robber? No. Did we smell the robber? No. Did we taste the robber? No. None of our senses knew that a robber there, but you know what our conclusion will be? A robber was here. The evidence is plain. It's clear. Look at the evidence. Well, it's the same with the creation, right? We look at our brains and the intense complexity of the circulatory system and the, and the hearing ear and the eyes, and, and uh, th- th- this didn't happen by good luck. It wasn't just that time went by, and oh, look at that, look, look at what luck did. No, no, it wasn't good luck. It, was, it wasn't that, well, we just take some time, you know, and then, and then we'll get these in, intensely complex eyes and brains and, and lung system, respiratory system, and circulatory systems, and reproductive system, and it all comes together. Oh, boy, wasn't that good luck. No. It's clear evidence. The evidence is there. Do, do, can we see the spirit? No, we can't see the spirit. Can we taste this? No. Can we feel the spirit? No. But we, the evidence is there. Well, anyway, you you get the idea. But then I also want to point out John 6, 63. It says, in the spirit who gives life. The spirit gives life. Now, I think in that passage in John 6, he's talking about spiritual life. But that just supports what we're saying, is that the spirit is the author of physical life and he's the author and creator of spiritual life. Only God can do that. We can't do that. We can't speak to the dead and they raise. We can't create by by the word of our mouth. Only God can. Only the spirit can. He's God. But then another... uh, one of his attributes is that he's eternal. Hebrews 9, uh, you don't have to turn there. It says, Christ, through the eternal spirit, offered himself without blemish to God. So when Christ was on the cross, we're told that the eternal spirit was there working in Christ and with Christ to offer up Christ. Christ. And the temptation was great for Christ, as we saw in the Garden of, Eden, in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? He was, he was dripping uh, like sweats of blood and uh, droplets of blood, and, and he's you know, tortured by this moment that's about to happen where the sin of his people all throughout the ages are on his shoulders, and he's ready to be crushed by the Father. But the Spirit was there helping him through the eternal Spirit. So we're not eternal. We can live forever, but we, we, we existed only at a c- certain point. We started. We had a beginning. We're created. We're creatures. Well, then the third attribute is that the spirit is truth. Now, we know that... Uh, we, we can have truth in us. I mean, we can speak truth at times, but I would suggest that even when we speak truth, it might be a little tainted with sin, right? But not, not God. Let God be true and every man a liar. Even as Christians, we still battle with the truth, right? But not God. He is perfectly truth. He is the truth, right? Christ said, I am the way, the truth, the life. He is the truth. See, that's what separates us from God, is we're not the truth. We're liars. Sometimes we lie. Even as Christians, we fall into that sin. And then 1 John chapter 5, we have a statement about the Spirit. 1 John chapter 5, 1 John 5 and verse 7. It says, And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is the truth. Only God is the truth. The Spirit is God, because he is the truth. Well, another attribute or characteristic of the Spirit is that he's omnipresent. He's omnipresent. Acts 2. Acts 2. We're kind of motoring along here. You know, there's a lot to cover. I hope I'm not uh, losing you in all this. But Acts 2, this is at Pentecost and Peter standing up and referring back to the prophet Joel quoting from the Old Testament prophet and he says in verse 17 and it shall be in the last days God says that I will pour forth of my spirit upon all mankind. Now let's think about that for a minute. He's, the promises, and of course we know it happened that the spirit was poured forth on all types of men in all areas, in all countries, all mankind. Now the question is how can the spirit be in us and in a guy in China? At the same time. In in Australia, in, in Antarctica, if there's anybody there. In Antarctica, in you know, the Arctic. So who knows? He's everywhere. He's omnipresent. Where can I go from thy spirit? And where can I flee from thy presence? Again, interchanging God and the spirit. You see that? You can't get away from God's spirit. He's everywhere. Only God is everywhere. Only God is omnipresent. Well, another characteristic of the spirit is that he's omniscient. He knows all things. That's what omniscience means. He's omniscient. He knows all. Now you don't have to turn there, but in Revelation 2:7, it says, "He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." And that phrase is quoted in Revelation 2:11 2:17 3:6, 3.9, 3.13, and just in case you didn't get it in those passages, 3.22. <laughs> right? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, what's going on there is that the Spirit, it, you know, Christ, through, by His Spirit, is sending a message to each of the churches and telling them their problems, their sins, Sometimes encouraging them, sometimes commending them. How does he know what's going on in all them churches anyway? Because he knows all things. And he was telling them what's in their heart. You've lost your first love. How does he know what's in their heart? Because he's omniscient. He knows all things, he's full of wisdom and truth, he is the truth. HE KNOWS ALL THINGS. BUT THEN, FINALLY, HE'S OMNIPOTENT, ALL-POWERFUL. WE'VE KIND OF ALREADY TOUCHED ON THIS BECAUSE WE ALREADY SAID THE SPIRIT OF GOD HAS MADE ME. WELL, HOW MUCH MORE POWER CAN YOU HAVE THAN TO CALL INTO into EXISTENCE A MAN? NOT TO MENTION ALL MEN. HE'S ALL-POWERFUL. But if we turn to the scriptures, like Acts chapter 1, in verse 8, it says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. You shall receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon, what is the source of power? Who is the source of power? The Holy Spirit is the source of power. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans fifteen thirteen, By the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has power internally in our souls as we'll find out perhaps in a future study and he has power in the physical realm. So there we have it. These characteristics and there's more. Um, I think there's many more than people give credit to regarding the incommunicable attributes of God but anyway I think hopefully this will give you a flavor for what is described there as the characteristics of the Holy Spirit in that He is separate from men, He is God. Now, the third argument that the Spirit is God is that the Holy Spirit is presented in Scripture as one with the Father and the Son. Right? So, you know the passage, the great, uh, and if you don't, just listen carefully. You know, some of the young folks, it's the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're they're presented as one in the scriptures, right? Furthermore, the Spirit is both the Spirit of the Son and the Spirit of the Father. Now turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter 4. I'm sorry, it's 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter 1 and verse 10. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would... come to you made careful search and inquiry seeking to know what person or time the spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow so this is the prophets of old hundreds of years before Christ came they were predicting the sufferings of Christ just check out Isaiah 53 is a classic passage, right? So now how did that happen? How did those guys back then, they're just men, you see? And as I've said many times before, the question isn't did men write the Bible, sinful men, yeah, sinful men wrote the Bible. The question is can God speak through sinful men the perfect truth? And I answer Yes. And so the, it says the spirit of Christ was in them, right? The spirit of Christ was in them. Speaking of the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. Well, that's the spirit of Christ. Well, he's also called the spirit of God. And so many places in scripture, I, they're innumerable. But uh, one is First Peter four fourteen. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. So he's called the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ. They're one. They're all one together. And as one, they're a triune God. So we, you know, in the as a offshoot of this, of course, we're certainly arguing about the tri- Trinity that the Bible teaches the Trinity. So these are side passages that you may not have thought of that that push forth the idea that there is a Trinity. Now, we can see also in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, you don't have to turn there, but it says the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you all. There's another instance in this case where the Apostle Paul is... Is presenting the Father, Son, and Spirit all as one. You see that? Well, the fourth and final argument, and we'll be very brief here, is that the idea of blaspheming the Holy Spirit proves that He's God. Now look at Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. It's found in more than one gospel. Matthew 12 and verse 31. Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven men, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. Now without going into the explanation for for all these details about who he's blaspheming, one thing we do see, that as we go through the scriptures, and I did it in a study myself, that when the word blasphemy is connected with an object or a, or a God, inevitably, it's God. That is God the Father. That is blasphemed. So when we see blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, it's blasphemy against God. So God and the Spirit are again one. Well, <clears throat> this, of course, whole teaching, that, uh, that the Spirit is God flies in the face of the teaching of many of the cults as I've mentioned the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons uh, they deny that the Spirit is God and is part of the Trinity specifically the Mormons teach that the Holy Ghost is a child of God and this is uh, quoted from a guy who has studied this out and with Mormon lit- literature and all that uh, Matt probably can tell us a lot more But the Holy Ghost is a child of God who does not have a body of flesh and bones as do the Heavenly Father and Jesus. Are, Are you saying that the Mormons believe that God has bones and flesh? That's exactly what they believe. The Holy Ghost is not really God, though in a secondary sense he is a God. You see that a God, right? That's what the Jehovah's Witnesses teach about Jesus. Well, he's not God, he's a God. But the Bible is very plain. There is one God and, and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. End of story. Right? He's a God, but is one of the sons of the heavenly father and the heavenly mother. The Mormons believe not only is God in heaven, his, the mother is in heaven, and that the father and the mother got together and gave birth to the Holy Spirit that's what they believe it's heresy no the deity of the Holy Spirit establishes the idea that the Father the Son and the Spirit all have one design and one purpose and one approach in saving us and bringing us to glory they are working together if all are one in essence then there must be perfect unity in everything they do And that's exactly what we see in the scriptures. Well, we still have time, so I'm going to press on and look at, secondly, the second major heading this morning, and it's going to be certainly a lot more brief. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. And so I'm going to be quoting here from Mr. Spurgeon in his book on page 74. He says, regarding the Holy Spirit, his operations are so mysterious, his doings are so secret, his acts are so removed from everything that is of sense and of the body that I cannot easily grasp the idea of his being a person, but a person he is. God is the Holy Spirit is not an influence, an emanation, a stream of something flowing from the Father, but he is as much an actual person as either God the Son Or God the Father. Mr. Spurgeon. But we can't believe men, although we highly regard Mr. Spurgeon. He was a man of truth and of the Scriptures. So let's turn to the Scriptures and see where Mr. Spurgeon gets this idea. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. In verse ten. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the, and it's it really should a better translation, it's a supplied word there. It's not in the original, it's it's the the definite article, who knows the things of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him. Even so, the things of God no one knows except the spirit of God. So, we have a spirit which is part of what we are as human beings. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead, James says. So he's He views the human body as, or the the human person as body and spirit, okay? Well, so it is with God. We have a spirit which is part of what we are as human beings. The spirit is us. Our spirit is us, (laughs) right? My spirit is me, and my spirit alone knows my inner self, as the passage says. So God's spirit is God. His spirit alone knows his inner self. My spirit is not an influence. It's not an emanation. It's not an active force of energy. It's not an attribute. It's me. God's spirit is not an influence, an active force, an emanation, an attribute, or a burst of energy. It's him. The spirit is a person. So... Spurgeon says this, and, and you know, Spurgeon had a sense of humor. He was, he was known for that. And so he, he's a little sarcastic here, but I, anyway, he says, Turn to the book of Acts, and you will find that the Holy Spirit said, Separate me, Barnabas, and Saul for the work. Acts 13, 2. I never heard of an attribute saying such a thing. Anyway, he's he's basically saying if the Spirit can speak to Barnabas and Paul, then how can he be an answer? He's a person. Persons speak to persons. Well, the Holy Spirit has characteristics of a person. In first, in verse eleven that we just read, he has knowledge, right? For who among men knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man of which is in Even so, the things of God no one knows except the spirit of God. So he has knowledge. He knows the things of God, right? And then as we saw in Acts chapter 5, he can be lied to. Well, you can't lie to an emanation or a force. And this is what many assert him to be. That's why Spurgeon outlines or describes the spirit by some, they, they believe he's just a burst of energy or an emanation or a force out there. Um, but he's not. He's a person. He can be lied to. You can't lie to an emanation. <laughs> he can be grieved. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, Ephesians 4.30. And I couldn't pass this up. This is a doctrinal study. And it can be sometimes doctrinal studies are so important because every practice has a doctrinal origin. So we can't skip, you know, some people say, I come to church, I want to hear application and I want to hear practical things. But, you, but the practical things mean nothing if we don't have the doctrine behind them to show that they're truth, what we're, what we're applying, right? Well, in any case, I thought I'd have some practical application here about... Um, grieving the holy spirit you can't grieve a force you can grieve a person though how can we grieve the spirit i am now mark you speaking of those who love the lord jesus christ the spirit of god is in your hearts and it is easy indeed to grieve him sin is as easy as it is wicked you may grieve him by impure thoughts he cannot bear sin If you indulge in lewd expressions, or even if you allow your imagination to dwell on any impure act, if your heart is covetous, if you set your heart upon anything that is evil, the Spirit of God will be grieved. I hear him speaking. This is the Spirit speaking. I love this man. I want to have his heart. He's speaking about his people, and yet he entertains filthy lusts. His thoughts, instead of running after me, after Christ, and after the Father, are running after the temptations that are in the world through lust. And then his spirit is grieved. We grieve him still more if we indulge in our outward acts of sin. Well, a good application in our day that where the internet is filled with the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh let's guard our hearts we're all vulnerable we all have that temptation before us we can't escape it we need the internet to survive I'm on it eight hours a day myself and uh, or more when I get home I'm on it too you know in any case that's mr. Spurgeon and then finally the Holy Spirit can be put to the test <clears throat> and in and I'm not going to turn there but Ananias, when she walked in, Ananias' wife, rather, when she walked in after Ananias was smitten dead, (laughs) Peter looks at at Ananias' wife, Why have you put the Spirit of God to the test? But we can't have a force being put to the test. He's a person. He's a person. Well, on the official website of the Jehovah's Witnesses, They explicitly state that the Holy Spirit is not a person. It is an active force, energy. And again, the cults will militate against and deny the biblical view of the Holy Spirit as a person. Throwing aspersions against God, that's Satan's device. He wants to degrade God, he wants to bring God down in any way he can, and God the Spirit is included in that. So that's why this is so critical. The Mormons say this, he, the spirit, can be present only through the medium of an impersonal force or power. When a Mormon thinks he feels the power of the Holy Ghost, what his doctrine says is that he is feeling not the personal presence of God himself, but an impersonal force emanating from one of several divine beings. Well, of course, this undermines the personal communion that we can have with God. God the Spirit, God the Son, God the Father. It's the Spirit that's within us, and when the Spirit is within us, we have communion with God. If the Spirit is an impersonal force or a burst of energy, there's no communion with God in that. We can't have communion with an energy. (laughs) You see, the attack is so subtle, trying to give make a distance between us and God, and God the Spirit, by interjecting that when God is with us or if he tries to be with us, it's just a, a force. No, God is personally desirous of being with us and communing with us. He walks with us. He's the shade on our right hand. He's in us by the Holy Spirit. So we have communion with God the Father. And the Spirit is in us as as God is in us. Well, a lot more could be said. Um, we've run out of time. I'd like to say more. But in any case, let's bow and ask the the Lord to bless our time. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for <clears throat> the time we've had to study the Scriptures and to open up your Word and and to see what your Word says about the Holy Spirit and and uh, how Satan is uh, seeking to undermine the faith once for all delivered to the saints that are so precious to him and how he sought to undermine our communion with God, how he sought to uh, dissemble the uh, relationship that we have to God as as our friend and our father, our heavenly father, that we cry out, Abba, Father. And Lord, we pray that we might... Um, honor the spirit and that we might uh, give our lives to the lord through his spirit by his power we pray all this in jesus name amen